This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler's Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, the Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group, also known as Willig, is the national nonprofit membership organization dedicated to representing the interests of millions of workers and their families who each year suffer the consequences of work-related injuries or occupational illnesses. Willig fights for the rights of workers and their families, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with the president of Willig, who's going to talk to us about his mission for 2017 and what he's watching out for in the legislative arena that might impact workers. And joining me today as my co-host is my friend and Ringler colleague, Duke Wolpert. Duke is head of Ringler's Pennsylvania Operations, and, uh, of course, Duke is also a uh, a UConn fan, just like me, so I, I like that. So, Duke, welcome to Ringler Radio. As always, a pleasure, Larry. Terrific. Well, joining us today is attorney Michael Gruber, president of Willig. Michael is a partner at Pasternak, Tilker, Ziegler, Walsh, Stanton, and Romano in New York City, where he handles workers' compensation cases for the firm. And to find out more about Michael and Willig, go to Willig, W-I-L-G, dot org. And uh, with that, I'll say welcome to the show, Michael. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Larry. It's uh, very uh, great to be here with you today. Terrific. So, Michael, let's begin by uh, by having you provide us some background on Willig for those who may not be as familiar with it. Well, Larry, Willig is the only national organization for attorneys who represent workers that are injured on the job. Uh, we currently have members in all 50 states, and obviously the majority of our members specialize in workers' compensation cases. But we also have members who handle FECA Act cases, uh, Longshore and Harbor Workers Compensation Act cases, wage and hour cases. Basically, any injury that occurs on the job, uh, we have members that handle. Our mission is to make sure that the rights of these injured workers are protected. Uh, we gather information. We provide research to our members on issues that are affecting injured workers across the country. You know, This helps our members not only in their everyday practices, but also as you mentioned, the legislative battles that many of our members are fighting uh, every year. You know, we also provide uh, in-person support. Uh, we've gone to several trial lawyer groups across the country to speak with them about particular issues they're having in each of their states. You know, Mike, as president of Willig and a practitioner, I'm sure you encounter challenges or roadblocks that impact workers and their families. Could you give us a little flavor for what you uh, are encountering? The biggest obstacle at the present time impacting workers is the changing political landscape. Uh, state legislatures, as well as the federal government, are becoming more conservative. Uh, the White House, the House of Representatives, the Senate, and I believe 68 out of 99 state legislative bodies are all controlled by Republicans. Traditionally, when Republicans are in control of the governmental entities, what this means is more restrictions on injured workers' benefits and reductions in the amount of benefits that are available to injured workers. We're seeing more and more restrictions on an injured worker's ability to receive relevant medical care. 
We're seeing more and more reductions in the duration of time for which injured workers can receive benefits. We've seen changes in causation standards. Uh, we're seeing changes in disability ratings with the new AMA 6th edition that uh, several states are adopting. Uh, all of these changes, every single one of them, are detrimental to injured workers and their ability to cope with the difficulties presented by work-related injuries. Well, Mike, on the, on the Willig website, the president's message is featured. Uh, tell us about your current message to Willig members and the workers' compensation community as a whole. Uh, obviously, in the last uh, several months, my presidency in this organization started in October, uh, and a lot has changed since then. So my president's message for the last several months has been on what the impact of the November elections is going to be on the rights of injured workers. And that's what my current message up there speaks about, uh, is how, as I mentioned, the increasing conservative nature of the government is impacting the rights of injured workers. Well, you know something, uh, Mike? On, on Monday, February 6th, Missouri became the 28th right-to-work state in the nation. Uh, Republican Eric Greitens was elected governor, and one of his first acts was to sign the right-to-work bill. So let's take a look at the right-to-work bill in Missouri and the importance of preserving the rights of workers. What, uh, what do you see as the trend here? Well, this is a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier about the impact that elections can have on the rights of injured workers. Right-to-work legislation had come up in Missouri in the past on several occasions, and every single time the Democratic governor had vetoed the bill. In November, the Republican governor was uh, elected, and one of his first acts was to sign the right-to-work bill. Uh, I hate the term right to work. Right to work is a complete misnomer as to what this legislation uh, attempts to uh, achieve. Uh, For those who really aren't familiar with it, what a right to work bill does is it prohibits employers from requiring employees to pay union dues. And what the rationale they always use behind this right to work legislation is that employees should have a choice as to whether or not they want to contribute to union. They always uh, market it as an employee choice issue. Uh, Obviously, the unions see it differently. The union's position is is that since all employees, whether or not they're members of the union or not, benefit from collectively bargained uh, benefits, all employees should contribute to the cost of obtaining those benefits. Uh, The unions have a term for those people who don't pay union dues but benefit from union activities. They call them free riders. And really make no mistake about it, right-to-work legislation is, at the end of the day, about union busting. Its sole purpose, its sole outcome is to weaken the bargaining position and the political strength of unions. I mean, let let me put it to you this way, Larry. If you had a choice between paying for a benefit and receiving it or not paying anything at all for a benefit and still receiving the same benefit, what would you do? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't pay. Uh, But fortunately, you know, some states are still seeing right to work for what it is. Uh, I will note that New Hampshire just this month defeated a right to work bill that was introduced in their legislature. So there's still some hope that uh, some people see right to work as the anti-labor measure that it is. Uh, And I also came across yesterday uh, a recent study that showed that the median household income in right to work states is actually lower than it is in uh, states where right-to-work legislation does not exist. So there's, I don't think, any real evidence that right-to-work uh, legislation and right-to-work states, the workers in those states are any better off. 
Well, it seems like there's always uh, some activity in the workers' compensation arena. Any other legislation that we should keep our eyes open for and watch out for? As opt-out is getting certainly a lot of attention. Well, opt-out, actually, as of last year, uh, opt-out has sort of cooled off a little bit. Opt-out for the last couple of years has been a very, very, very hot topic in workers' compensation, both locally and federally. Mike, explain opt-out to our audience. Sure. What opt-out is is a program that allows employers to uh, remove themselves from the state's traditional workers' compensation system if they meet certain financial criteria. Usually it's uh, utilized by bigger employers, uh, Walmarts of the world, uh, uh, Costco, those types of employers. Uh, Small mom-and-pop stores really don't usually meet the uh, criteria that are in opt-out statutes. Uh, The opt-out provision in Oklahoma was uh, unique in that it allowed employers to opt out of the state's workers' compensation system but still retain exclusive remedy uh, protections meaning they could not be sued the same way that an employer who has traditional workers' compensation coverage is immune from tort liability. Um, Opt-out is really a way for employers to control every aspect of a workers' compensation case. The problem with opt-out from an injured worker's point of view is that injured workers really have no say in in what benefits they receive. They have no say in the duration of benefits they get. Uh, They have no say in the amount of benefits they get. They have no say in the type of medical treatment they get. They have no say in the appeals process. Everything is stacked uh, in favor of the employer in an opt-out system. There are very big problems uh, with due process, uh, and that is one of the things that the Oklahoma court Uh, pointed at when they threw out the opt-out section of the Oklahoma workers' compensation reforms. So when the Oklahoma opt-out bill came before the Oklahoma Supreme Court, uh, the Supreme Court in Oklahoma basically threw out the entire thing, said it was unconstitutional. We've heard from our people in Oklahoma that there's really no big push to uh, reconfigure their statute to make opt-out workable. So the momentum for opt-out has sort of cooled, which I'm very happy to say is, is uh, hopefully becoming a national trend. It has been talked about in Tennessee. It was introduced in Tennessee a little bit, uh, but then one of the sponsors of the bill uh, had some ethical difficulties, so it was dropped. They've been speaking about it in vague terms in South Carolina. But other than that, we haven't really heard much in the way of opt-out recently, and I pray that it stays that way because it is absolutely the death of workers' compensation if it becomes a trend nationally. In other places, there are, in Arkansas, a bill was just introduced, I think, in the last couple of weeks or so, uh, which proposed durational caps on benefits table in permanent total disability in death cases, and that's something that's relatively new. Uh, a lot of states have limitations on awards for permanent partial disability, but limitations on permanent total disability and in the cases where death is involved uh, are relatively rare. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, a lot of states are having difficulty with the latest version of the AMA guidelines. Nevada currently fighting against the adoption of the most recent AMA guidelines, the sixth edition. Again, horrible for injured workers. 
it significantly and in our estimation arbitrarily reduces impairment ratings and impairment ratings uh, impact benefit rates, impact entitlement to medical care. Uh, and then there's Florida, of course. Uh, Florida's a state we'll be watching closely in the near future. Uh, as I'm sure a lot of people are aware, at the end of last year, several parts of the Florida Workers' Compensation Statute uh, were determined to be unconstitutional by the state court. Uh, the legislature down there is uh, trying to figure out how they're going to deal with the court's decisions. Uh, there were court's uh, decisions on durational limitations for uh, temporary partial disability, uh, and the court also overturned part of their statute dealing with attorney's fees, uh, which has caused everyone down there to really lose their mind uh, because they think, as always, that greedy lawyers are driving up the cost of workers' compensation. And although one other thing, although it's technically not new legislation, uh, the Trump administration's uh, strict enforcement of the immigration law is something that we're going to be watching really closely. It's already having a trickle-down effect into workers' compensation cases. Uh, and that's going to be something that's going to be a very interesting yeah, no, uh, no topic question. nationally in workers' compensation. No question about that, for sure. And uh, sounds to me like you and Willig have their hands full. This is going to be quite an interesting time for you to be uh, to be working on all these these issues. Uh, you got your antenna up, and you're going to be you're going to be really active for sure. Well, let's take a quick break right now, and be back right in a minute here on Ringler Radio with Michael Gruber and Duke Walper. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler, the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Duke Wolpert, head of Ringler's Pennsylvania Operations and Attorney Michael Gruber, President of Willig. Mike, let's talk a little bit about litigation and settlements when it comes to workers' compensation cases. What would you say are the most important factors in crafting a settlement for the injured worker and his or her family? And and talk a little bit about the role of structured settlements in the overall resolution of cases that you've seen along the way. Well, obviously the most important factors when talking about any settlement with an injured worker is the severity of the injury and the need for medical care. Medical costs these days account for about 50% of the total cost to an insurance carrier, and it's about 50% of the total benefit that an insurance company pays out on a claim. So you have two factors here, severity of the injury, need for medical treatment. Severity of the injury impacts whether a worker is able to return to work, and if they are able to return to work, it will likely impact what type of wages the worker will be able to earn post-injury. Obviously, uh, any type of settlement has to take into account a worker's loss of wage earning capacity in order for that worker to be able to keep 
uh, paying his mortgage and, and keep food on the table. Uh, also, any settlement must take into account future medical costs of the claim, and that's why uh, settlement planning is so important. Uh, whether it's a structured settlement or some other arrangement, an injured worker needs to have some sort of plan in place to ensure that his future uh, needs are met. Structured settlements are good because the majority of them uh, provide for uh, upfront cash to uh, an injured worker that they uh, can use to pay for any uh, bills or any debts that they might have uh, built up over the time that they've been out of work. Uh, but structured settlements also are helpful because they put safeguards in place for injured workers to be able to meet their needs into the future. Uh, those settlements are in place specifically to help them meet their medical needs, to help them meet uh, their financial needs into the future. So structured settlements are, are an absolute benefit uh, for our injured workers, and we love seeing them. You know, Mike, there seems to be a conscious effort by both the claimants bar and defense bar to open up some dialogue different than in past years. That's just an observation. Not sure if you agree with that or not. Can you offer some insights from your perspective as president of Willig? Yeah. Uh, over the past couple of years, uh, a couple of different groups have put together what they've been calling strategic summits uh, with respect to what the future of workers' compensation either will or should look like. Uh, I know the IAIABC has had a couple of these summits. Uh, there's a private group that's led by Bob Wilson, who's a workers' compensation blogger, as well as uh, David Langham, who's a judge down in Florida, who put together a, a group that has met on several occasions. Uh, and these groups include a few claimants' attorneys or injured workers' advocates, uh, and many uh, adjusters, uh, representatives of uh, large insurance companies, representatives of large employers. Uh, and it's always nice to have dialogue about these things. Uh, I am one of those people who is willing to go anywhere and talk to anyone about workers' compensation. It's what I do for a living. It's what I'm passionate about. I firmly believe in the rights of injured workers. I firmly believe that workers' compensation should be uh, there to provide for injured workers when they suffer an unfortunate uh, injury on the job. The difficulty is that many of these groups seem to focus on cost savings. Uh, and in my estimation, the focus is not where it should be, is on the injured worker. But again, it's always good for people to come together and talk because you never know where good ideas are going to come from. Uh, and if you don't get together and talk about these types of things, uh, then the possibility of a reasonable compromise between what I think should be the right thing done on behalf of injured workers and what other people think should be the right thing done on behalf of businesses to make it affordable for them to do uh, business in each particular state, there won't be any agreement. And there can't be any agreement unless people are at the table sitting around. So I applaud the efforts, but I'm not so sure whether or not they're going to come to any uh, useful conclusion. I know that Willick has some upcoming regional conferences, and you schedule these uh, quite often. And th these are going to be in Montana and Atlanta in uh, March. What, what will you be stressing at these, uh, at these various uh, conferences? Well, every year Willig has a national convention. It's in the fall. This year's convention is in Florida. 
And at the national convention, what we do is we discuss more global issues affecting people, infecting injured workers throughout the country. A couple of years ago, we started having these more localized regional conferences. And these are meetings where we can discuss issues that are more relevant to specific areas of the country. For example, you mentioned Montana. Montana covers our Northwest region, uh, while our conference in Atlanta is focused on those issues that the Southeastern states are seeing more. Uh, so it's a good way for the people who are practicing in each particular region of the country to have a conference that is focused on their specific issues as opposed to global issues uh, in general. And there are also great networking events for our, uh, for our members. You know, you get to meet other uh, attorneys who handle uh, workers' compensation or injured workers' uh, claims in other states that are around you, and they can be a great referral source for your business. Mike, for any of our listeners who are interested in getting involved in Willig, uh, can you steer us in the right direction? Sure. It's very simple. Uh, you can join online through our website, which, as you mentioned, is Willig, W-I-L-G dot org. Uh, that site also has a lot more information about our organization, what we do, who we are, what our mission is. Uh, for any specific questions, you can contact our executive director, Jennifer Comer. Uh, her email address is jennifer at willig.org. All of our contact information is on the website. Uh, if you wish to get involved with Willig, uh, we have a variety of committees. We have a variety of opportunities for people to speak on topics which they might be knowledgeable on or they might be passionate about. And we're always looking for uh, new members and, and new blood in our organization who can help us out. Well, you know, Mike, it sounds like uh, Willig is going to be very, very active, as I mentioned before. I mean, you've got the new administration in Washington. You've got uh, each of the states trying to deal with workers' uh, rights issues. And you mentioned the immigration uh, policies that are changing. Uh, you've got a full agenda ahead of you, and uh, we're going to be looking forward to hearing from you maybe uh, in, in, in a bit as to how some of these things are shaking out in the workers' compensation arena. So we look forward to having you back here. But if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or contact you, Mike, how would they do that? Well, uh, I work at a farm called Pasternak, Tilker, Ziegler, Walsh, Stanton, and Romano, and my office is located in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Our website is workerslaw.com. Uh, my email address is mgruber at workerslaw.com. Uh, I'd obviously be happy to answer any questions anybody might have or uh, answer any questions about workers' compensation or Willig in, in particular. Super. And uh, Duke, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Yeah, thanks, Larry. Uh, email would be dt, as in Tom, Walpert, W-O-L-P-E-R-T, at ringlerassociates.com. And phone would be 215 356 Four five seven two. And if anyone wants to uh, get a hold of any of the Ringler Associates around the country, they can certainly go to our website, ringlerassociates.com, where you'll find uh, Duke Wolpert and all the rest of the Ringler Associates uh, and their phone numbers and even their pictures, Duke. I think you're in there. Uh, you got quite a nice picture there, so that's <laughs> nice. And uh, you can also, of course, reach uh, here and uh, listen to all the Ringler Radio shows uh, on ringlerassociates.com. You can also find the Ringler Radio shows on ringlerradio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, and iTunes, where you can download it directly to uh, any of your uh, devices and listen at your leisure. And uh, so with that, I, I just want to say thank you, Mike, for uh, for bringing us up to date on Willig and all the all the great work you're doing and all the challenges that face you. That It's been great having you here on the, on the show today. Thank you. 
I thoroughly enjoyed it, Larry and Duke. Thank you very much for having me today. And Duke, thanks for for being a great co-host. I look forward to seeing you again. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, go out and have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, the objective settlement advisors with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.